Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, it is a milestone episode. Episode 100. That's right, 100. For the love of the game, let's cook. I feel blessed. Way up, I feel blessed. Way up, I feel Straight up. Look, I live the life I deserve. Blessed. A vacay, I feel better at work. I mean, whatever it's worth, I give whatever I'm worth For my nigga who gon' go to hell and back for me I'ma give him heaven on earth for a hell of a check Yeah, whichever come first Blessings on blessings on blessings Look at my life, man, that's lessons on lessons on lessons I treat the beat like it's a reverend You know what it is, episode 100 for the love of the game Milestone episode, major milestone Your boy is now at triple digits A hundred damn episodes Honestly, it's crazy I mean, a small little thing I started because I had a bit of an itch to scratch to try something that I thought I'd be good at. I was at a day job I did not like at the time. I just got out of a relationship and needed something to be excited about. And now here we are, 100 episodes. I mean, absolute craziness. It's really, it's really, really crazy. Uh, so here's to the next 100, to a bigger next 100. And I'd like to thank all my guests throughout all this all the subscribers, all the listeners for the continued support and feedback, all of it. So yeah, here's to more rants, more takes, more entertainment going forward and to the next 100 being bigger and better than the first 100. Now that I'm done patting myself on the back and being uh, humbled at the same time, I know only I have the ability to do that. Uh, Let's talk sports. A lot going on, a lot going on. Tonight's episode for the main course, I'm going back to the roots as a New York flavored show. I've got two guests to talk Knicks and Mets with some other New York related stuff mixed in. But yeah, it's going to be a New York vibe tonight for my century show. And because even if I want to eventually move to Miami in the next few months, I am in New York through and through. But first, a little bit on what's going on across sports. So the Alabama Crimson Tide won another college football playoff. Nick Saban's seventh title. It's insane. This run that Alabama has been on the last couple of years is insane. It's essentially that they win every other year. Nutty. Heisman Trophy winner Devonta Smith had 12 receptions, 215 yards, and three touchdowns in the first half. That's right. I said the first half. Just insane. Absolutely insane. And to think that he was the fourth wide receiver on their depth chart last year is nuts. So I asked my buddy Jordan Marks, who knows a lot more about college football than I do. And I asked him kind of sarcastically, Alabama players were going to make up 50% of this year's first round of the NFL draft. Now, obviously, that's an exaggeration. And I'm not a college football expert or real NFL draft expert, but I'm also not clueless. So the fact that I would even joke about that just shows how great and ridiculously loaded this Alabama team was this year. So congrats to them on uh, their title this year. On to baseball real quick. Quiet offseason so far, but Stevie Cohen in the Mets swung a big trade. Shortstop Francisco Lindor, uh, all-star shortstop Francisco Lindor, and star Carlos Carrasco from the Cleveland Indians going to the Mets. A huge move for the Mets. 
Lindor is 26 years old in his prime is one of the 10 best position players in the game. And they didn't give up that much in terms of assets. We'll talk more about this trade later on in the show, but it's a steal for the Mets and the Mets with Steve Cohen as owner are going to be a force to be reckoned with a few NFL notes real quick. Lamar Jackson, who I've been critical of, well, he won a playoff game finally this year and we saw the real good side of Lamar. I mean, that 48 yard run, was just an unreal play, that that 48-yard touchdown run he had. And then we saw the bad side of Lamar. That interception he threw on the out route, which was like eight yards off that throw, was just so bad. I mean, horrible that you'd think even an NFL QB would make that kind of throw. But he got the win, and he made plays when the Ravens absolutely needed him to, so kudos to him. But before we get all excited, let's just put it into perspective here. They put up 20 points against the bad Tennessee defense, a really bad Tennessee defense. That was the worst defense on third down almost in the league. So before we get all excited, let's pump the brakes a little bit. I'm still not buying Lamar Jackson as being that guy like Patrick Mahomes is, like Aaron Rodgers is, and like Russell Wilson is normally. We'll get to that in a second. Two, Browns fans, rejoice. First playoff win since 1995. I mean, it was a disastrous start for the Steelers. A botched snap for a touchdown. They were down 28-0 before you could even blink. And yeah, it got a little tight for the Browns there. And the decision by Mike Tomlin to punt fourth and one at the 45 or so, down 12 with all the momentum, was bad. I mean, really bad. And Browns fans had to have been nervous for certain. I mean, the sphincters were getting tight, but... Rejoice, Cleveland. Soak this one in. A win is a win. And to do it without their head coach, Kevin Stefanski, who is out due to COVID, is super impressive. Three. This may have been Russell Wilson's worst playoff loss. I know the Rams' defense is awesome. I mean, Jalen Ramsey, the job he does on DK Metcalf, uh, they couldn't go deep. But to lose at home, and I know there's no home field advantage in Seattle. The 12 wasn't there. But to lose at home to Jared Goff with a broken thumb is just not a good look for my boy, Russell Wilson. Four, as I mentioned just a few moments earlier, Mike Tomlin's decision to punt in that spot. Well, that wasn't even the worst punt of the day because Mike Vrabel, coach of the Tennessee Titans, had an even more questionable and I should say baffling decision to punt. Down 17-13 in the fourth quarter, fourth and two on the plus side of the field. With knowing that you have a terrible defense, a historically terrible defense on third down, by the way, you have to go for it there to win the game. You have Derrick Henry. You have A.J. Brown. Ryan Tannehill's been good all year. You have to go for it there. Punting on the plus side of the field when it's fourth down and less than five yards makes no sense. None. Be aggressive. Try and win the game. That's how you got to do it. Anyway, so that's... um. Let this past weekend, wildcard weekend, uh, NFL, a little bit of a recap there. A couple of picks for this weekend's action before switching to NBA. Got the Rams and the Packers in Green Bay. The Rams are six and a half point underdogs in Green Bay. I actually like the Rams to cover this spread. Uh, I know Jared Goff's thumb is a little banged up and he hasn't been great, but their defense is really, really nasty. And I'm still a bit of a Green Bay skeptic. I know Aaron Rodgers was great this year, probably win the MVP, but I don't know. Something about this Green Bay team, I don't know what it is. I'm still a skeptic. Uh, I would pick the Rams to cover the six and a half, even though I still think Green Bay is going to win the game. Ravens at Bills, the line is two and a half 
points. Uh, Buffalo's the favorite. I love the Bills here. I'm not a Ravens believer still. Uh, I I think Buffalo's good enough, and this spread should be about four points. I like the Bills to win and to cover. Browns at Chiefs. Chiefs are laying 10. It's in Kansas City. I think the Cinderella story for the Browns here, their run comes to an end. Uh, I think the Chiefs win handily. I think they stop screwing around. So Chiefs with the points. And Buccaneers and Saints. It's Saints minus three. It's in New Orleans. I know New Orleans has handled the Bucs all season, but I don't know. It feels a little different this time. I, I think there's a little bit more of a mojo to Tampa Bay's offense. I think uh, Antonio Brown has, has fit in better. I think Brady is more comfortable. I think they're doing more things that cater to Tom Brady and his skills. I actually like the Buccaneers to cover, and I really think that they're going to win outright. So I would take the Bucs plus three. All right, so on to the NBA. So last episode, I spoke about Trey Young and how guys don't like playing with him. Well, what do you know? It comes out that John Collins, their super talented forward, really doesn't like Trey Young and his whole style of play. And conversations from the locker room have leaked how the players don't like playing with Trey Young. So it turns out that modeling your game after James Harden, tons of dribbling, not much passing, not much cutting off the ball, alienating your teammates really doesn't work. Who could have predicted that? Oh, wait, I did. I'm, I'm out on Trey Young. I'm just out. Uh, I thought the Hawks under for wins this year was a lock. 36 and a half. This team's not going to be 500. Uh, they're just, uh, Trey Young is just an empty calorie stats guy. Not buying it whatsoever. And what do you know? So I get some things right. I get a lot of things right. But I have some misses too. I, I And this one I really missed on, it looks like. And that's LaMelo Ball. I thought he was going to be super immature coming to, into the NBA. I thought he'd basically try and play like he did in Australia, which he gave him free reign to do whatever the hell he wanted, jack up a bunch of bad threes, a bunch of bad shots, uh, completely disregard his teammates. But that's not what's happening right now. He's way more mature than I thought. His vision and his passing are unbelievable. His rebounding for a guard is ridiculous. Yeah, I know he's 6'8 and has great size, but it's more than that. He just has a nose for the ball. And he was asked about his rebounding and he gave an unbelievable answer that he played a lot of 21 growing up. So he got this knack for rebounding the ball. I absolutely love that answer. He is way more likable than I thought. And from everything I've heard, and read, he's a great teammate. So you can put this on the ledger as an ATH miss and potentially a really big miss. If he ever becomes a semi-decent shooter, I mean, watch out because his talent with that size is just off the charts. Off the charts, I've been super impressed with LaMelo Ball so far. I mean, I, I can't say that enough. And while we're on the Charlotte Hornets, Gordon Hayward has been awesome for them. Awesome. Everyone, including me, laughed at that contract. And yes, it was a major overpay, but he's been real close to Utah Gordon Hayward so far for the Charlotte Hornets. And I hope for Charlotte fans that it continues and he stays healthy because we know it didn't work out in Boston because he was so snake bitten, but we'll see. I, Charlotte has been really watchable and a real pleasant surprise. I wasn't expecting this from Charlotte. I mean, I watched them against the Knicks the other night and Hayward absolutely destroyed 
the Knicks in the first quarter. I mean, really set the tone. And LaMelo was great against the Knicks, too. I mean, the Hornets are a real fun team to watch. So hope that continues for them. So let's transition from things I was wrong about to things I was right about and was always right about and will always be right about. And this blends into the popular segment, Asshole of the Day, NBA edition. And what do you know? It's Kyrie Irving and James Harden. Again, who would have thought? It hasn't, it's not like I haven't been beating this drum forever. So let's start with James Harden. It's clear that he wants out of Houston. It's been that way for a while. I've detailed all the reason why Harden is a complete fraud, lacks professionalism, asshole of the day winner, etc. <clears throat> I mean, Houston made him the center of their universe and then he just craps all over them. But last night, this happens. He shows up to the game and he right now is extra fat. I mean, talking 20 pounds overweight. And then after the game, in a loss where they get blown out, he says this. James, are you surprised that y'all never made a run at all? I made a run at all in, the, in this one? Which is not good enough. Um, you know, we just, we don't, we don't, uh, obviously chemistry, talent-wise, just everything. And it was clear, um, like I said, these last few games, um, they just, you know, from, the, from the beginning of the game, they were just aggressive, uh, vet, veteran team, obviously, uh, championship team. And, um, you know, one of the best teams that we have in this league. Um, you know, I love this city. Um, I literally, you know, have done everything that I can, um, you know, I mean, this situation is, is, is crazy. You know, it's something that uh, I don't think can be fixed. So, um, yeah, thanks. I mean, the audacity to say that, I, I, I just, I, I'm almost speechless, which is weird for a podcaster to be speechless, but I'm almost speechless. I mean, I've always been right about James Harden and will always be right about James Harden, that he's never going to win anything and that he's a cancer to a basketball team. And then there's his buddy in arms, asshole of the day, buddy in arms, Kyrie Irving. So Kyrie has also gone off the deep end. He just took a leave of absence from the Nets. Some speculated that it had something to do with what happened in the Capitol building last Wednesday. Like you can't care about social issues and be a professional and do your job. This might be a segment for another show, but not tonight. So we're going to avoid all that. Then he's also videoed a couple of days later out at the club for his sister's birthday, breaking all different types of NBA COVID protocols. He missed the last week or so and is out tonight for the Knicks. I should say again for the game against the Knicks. It's now being reported that he's mad at the Nets because he didn't have enough say in their hiring a coach when they hired Steve Nash. It's also said by uh, this guy, Thomas D who works for SNY that Kyrie's relationship with his good buddy, Kevin Durant is now a bit strained. And KD, by the way, looks ridiculously good coming back from his Achilles tear. I mean, he's looks like KD of old are incredible, but man, who does Kyrie think he is like, seriously, like Harden, he just has zero professionalism, no respect for his teammates, and it's ridiculous. He, too, is a cancer to a basketball team. And for those who say, well, he hit a big shot in the NBA Finals, well, aside from LeBron, and I've said this multiple times, that LeBron winning with Kyrie Irving is the biggest accomplishment of his career. Besides for that, Kyrie Irving has been either on losing teams or has 
or their team has been better when he's off the floor in Boston uh, and possibly with the Nets. So KD has to be kicking himself for hitching his wagon to Kyrie Irving. I mean, the best thing to ever happen to the New York Knicks in the last five to 10 years was that Kyrie signed with the Nets. I can't stress this enough. He's just such a jackass. And well, hold on one second. Uh, so we're kind of breaking news here. I'm getting this in real time. So it looks like James Harden has eaten his way out of Houston and they're trading him to the Brooklyn Nets. I, I'm, I'm, wow, I, I'm reacting to this in real time. So it looks like it's going to be a four-team trade involving the Pacers and the Cavaliers. The Nets are getting Harden. They're giving up Karis LeVert. They are giving up Jared Allen, Torian Prince. Uh, Jared Allen and Torian Prince are heading to... Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers in this deal. Uh, there's four first round picks going to Houston and four pick swaps from the Nets. I mean, this is just nuts. And then you have Karis LeVert, who was sent to Houston in that package, is now being traded for Victor Oladipo. Whoa. <laughs> you prepare for this podcast, and then all of a sudden things go wild and this starts getting crazy. I mean, wow. I, I, now I got to break this down. And again, Adrian Wojnarowski tweets this out, so you know it's true. My first reaction is this is an absolute overpay by the Brooklyn Nets. I, I, I can't stress this enough. You know, they had something going there with Karis LeVert being the sixth man. There seemed to have been a balance, and now they're adding uh, Team Cancer, James Harden, and including all those picks, all those swaps. I mean, this is nuts. I, I, I can't believe the overpay that they just did for James Harden. If I'm a Philadelphia 76ers fan who's in the running, I am counting my lucky stars that they didn't trade Ben Simmons and Tyrese Maxey and other young assets for James Harden. I can't wait to hate watch this Brooklyn Nets team. I can't wait to fade this Brooklyn Nets team. If you And of course, Vegas has probably bumped their odds to being second uh, to win the title behind the Lakers. This team isn't even going to get out of the East, all right? I still like Milwaukee better. I still like Miami better. I still like Philly better. And you can make a case for Boston. The Nets played no defense as it is, and they just got a guy who plays next to no defense. Next to no defense. And for all those who are saying, oh, James Harden's improved on defense. He, he's a good post defender. Yeah, he gets posted up like, Two times a game. He dies on screens, doesn't care about guarding guys on the perimeter. I mean, I can't wait to hate watch this. Kyrie Irving and James Harden deserve each other. They're both assholes. I don't know Kevin Durant. I don't know what he's going to do here. He's probably kicking himself to have to deal with these idiots. But yeah, wow, crazy day in the NBA. Things got nuts. And yeah, Victor Oladipo for Karis LeVert. I kind of like it for both teams, given uh, Oladipo is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. I still think Indiana is going to be really good and interesting. Kind of like it for the Rockets. But man, I'm reacting to this in real time. I mean, what a way to close my monologue on my 100th episode. I mean, wow. Just, just wow. This is so with that said, we're going to bring on our two guests to talk about things happening in New York sports, Knicks and Mets in just a moment. Actually, one quick thought before I bring on tonight's guests. This whole thing about player empowerment, right? So James Harden can basically act like a jackass and then get traded, all right? This is, this is just not a good look. Like, you can't be that unprofessional 
and slap the organization in the face and then get what you want. I mean, we saw it with Anthony Davis to a degree in New Orleans. Now, James Harden has taken it to a new level. At a certain point, you know, the owners and the general managers have to stand up to these guys and say, no, we're not dealing with this anymore. We're not going to capitulate. And this is what happens when you have a commissioner who tries to be the best friend of the players. This is what happens. This player empowerment stuff, like, yeah, at a certain point, the players really were getting shafted. And now it's gotten so far over the top the other way that Adam Silver, it's really, it's killing the league. It's killing the league. And especially this year, in the COVID year, where James Harden and Kyrie Irving can just completely disregard COVID protocols when the NBA is doing as much as possible to get to 72 games, to lock in the RSN money, to make sure that their calendar is set for next year to go back to the normal calendar where you can have fans. Like for them to do this and then get rewarded is nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And Adam Silver needs a lot of more David Stern in him because David Stern wouldn't tolerate any of this shit. He wouldn't tolerate any of it. So yeah, it's time for Adam Silver to grow a spine. Time for him to get a backbone and be the adult in the room and police the league over here a little bit because what's happening now stinks. It really stinks. And this player empowerment garbage, it's gotten over the top ridiculous. And that's my last rant for episode 100. Time to bring on two guests to talk all things New York sports, Knicks and Mets in just a moment. All right, so I've got two guests on tonight's episode, episode 100, so I had to do it big. Uh, my first guest is one of my favorite guests I lived with for two years, one of my best friends in the world, recurring guest, Mr. Justin Richter. Justin, what's going on, man? What's up, ATH? Congrats on triple digits 100. Very exciting. Very proud of you. It's Glad f- to be on the Century Mark uh, show. I mean, listen. Century mark only comes around one, so I had to do it special. But how crazy is it? We're at 100, right? Isn't that that, nuts? That's impressive. Really impressive. Day to day, to the grind every day, putting it on. Rain, snow, sleet, you're always there. So it's really commendable. We're, you know, up and coming mogul stuff. We're trying to do mogul things. So Brick by brick. We're damn straight. Uh, Shout out to Dave Portnoy and all he's doing right now. The guy's the greatest living American in, in America right now. Anyway, so for episode 100, we're bringing it back to the New York roots. Uh, we're talking all New York this episode. So we got to start out with uh, our New York Knicks, right? Knicks got out to a hot start. I was feeling myself. And I'm sure you were feeling it too. They've won four out of five. They were five and three, and now they've lost three in a row. So uh, after getting waxed by the Charlotte Hornets last night and uh, Gordon Hayward, who they were rumored to sign in the offseason, and I'm kind of happy that they didn't sign him in the offseason, but he demolished them in the first quarter, really set the tone, and he's looked, he's looked great. He's looked like Utah Gordon Hayward, so of course. Uh, where are you at right now with the Knicks? Give me your, uh, you know, just describe your roller coaster of emotions with this team. Yeah, I mean, there, were, there weren't so many expectations going, going into the season. I mean, they stink. Um, you know, so what they started out 0-2 or something, and then they had a big game against Milwaukee, and it was like, whoa, they won that game. Then what they, yeah, exactly. And you know, um, 
So then we got a little excited. Maybe Tibbs has, has the magic touch and is getting these guys to play some defense. Then they won three in a row. Um, so maybe they could be, you know, an eight seed in, in the Eastern Conference. Um, but then they just returned to their old ways. You know, you just saw the last few games. And the bottom line is this, this team just can't shoot. They, they, they can't hit a basket. Every night they go 0 for 100 from, from the three-point land. And you can't win in the NBA if you can't shoot. Um, you know, they have some nice young players that, that I, I root for. I like R.J. Barrett a lot. Um, but he's the same problem. The guy has all the talent in the world. There's only one problem. He can't finish and he can't shoot. Um, so – and I don't, I don't know how you fix that. If you, I mean, the guy was a, a 60% free throw shooter from the line last year, and he's a shooting guard, right? Um, so that, 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 that part is, is concerning. Yeah, the outside shooting, I mean, last night was rough. Uh, Austin Rivers, who's a good shooter, was, was shooting great, did not have a great night shooting the ball. I mean, Kevin Knox, who's been up and down, had a great night shooting from three. And quickly, who I personally love, um, you know, who's billed as a shooter. I mean, he went one for 10 last night. Sometimes that's just going to happen. So it, the, the shooting's up and down. I mean, the, the RJ shooting's a little concerning, but when you say that they, you know, it's the same old thing, is it strictly just the guys, you know, can't make baskets? Because I definitely see a difference in terms of just the sheer effort that they play with. Like that even when they don't play well, they still play really hard, right? They're not going to get, like, absolutely bum-rushed and lose by 30, right? They'll try, they'll try and claw back. Like, even last night, they were down 15. They'll claw back to seven. They'll get it to five. And, and some nights, you're just not going to have it. But I don't see a lack of effort there, which is nice. Yeah, and I think that's a testament and a credit to, to Tibbs as opposed to all the other joke coaches that they've had before. He actually demands accountability, um, and they try hard. I just – you know, I think maybe in seasons past that happened the same thing at the beginning of the year, you know, and then if they go on a, a five-game losing streak, then that intensity and the aggressiveness can can wane a little bit. But, yeah, you, you do see the effort. RJ, especially, that guy's motor is always running. Um, always running. Always running. He, he's such a – he's a good-looking athlete. Like, he reminds me – I was trying to find a, com- a comparison of, of who he could be, and this is kind of crazy and out there, but maybe like a, a really poor man's Dwayne Wade – you know, just someone he kind of just gets to his spots. He's a smooth-looking player. Um, just really, if he could just get develop a jump shot, he could be outstanding. Um, yeah, they all try hard. And how about Randall? Randall, the guy's always huffing and puffing. He's always, he's, you know, three minutes into the game. It looks like uh, Ewing used to, you know, sweating his his brains off. Um, and he's another hustler. So, yeah, I think that's a credit to, to Tibbs. And maybe, you know, it's a turnaround to committing to the old, old school 90s New York defense. But they they – they need some, they need more. I don't know if they need more. They obviously need more talent, but they really need to develop some shooters. Um, and I don't know how you do that at this point, but that's something to look forward to. The shooting is, is interesting, right? Because Randall had that hot stretch shooting the three. Um, and they, they do have guys who can make threes. Like, as I mentioned quickly, you know, Alec Burke, before he got hurt, was shooting the three nicely. Um, Knox, Knox is inconsistent. Knox yeah, is super inconsistent. He, he, he's turned into just a, I guess he's a three and D guy. I don't really know what his role is. He doesn't dribble the ball. He just shoots threes, but hopefully he's okay at them. Um, quickly. Yeah. looks like he has a nice touch. Again, I don't like seeing he plays like James Harden trying to get a foul on every play and he's, you know, 10 foot floaters in the lane. I'm not in love with those. Um, maybe they could cut that part out of his game, but yeah, still super young and, you know, could develop more. So I'm going to take a little exception to the, to the James Harden comment. With drawing fouls because Harden was different. Like, 
And Trey Young has taken the Harden thing to the next level in terms of just like throwing his body backwards, like everything we've ever. Yeah, seen. and I, I've seen quickly do that so far. Yeah, but his is a little different. Like his look like he's trying to shoot, right? Like Chris Paul did it for a while where he was just like flailing all over the place, like moving backwards and then falling forwards, like Harden with his right. arms out, like searching. Like quickly at least looks like he's trying to get into a shooting motion. So I'll give him a pass yeah. on that. So before, because we hate James Harden on this podcast and we like quickly. So we're not, we're not putting that stink on right. yet, but, but going back to the shooting, like they could play lineups where they have some shooting. And again, you know, quickly is not going to shoot one for 10 every night. I, I just, you know, it, RJ needs this. He needs guys to be able to space the floor for him, for him to get into the lane because he is strong. He's so really strong. strong. He, he just he pushes people around. He gets his body in there. It's great. But it's just it's just he has he has no space. But I do think when Burks comes back, they can do some things. Um, and then there's the the Alfred Payton thing. Like, I, I we're gonna talk about your your opinion on Clyde Frazier, but in, in, a little later. But he uh, Clyde was like. He roasted Alfred Payton last night, who even statistically didn't have a bad game. Like, he was okay, but it just – the offense lacks pizzazz when he's in the game, even when he's playing yeah. well. And he's like, Alfred Payton came in as a suspect shooter. Seven years in, still is a suspect shooter. <laughs> like, we need to get rid of this guy. Like, what are we doing here? So, but, yeah, no, uh, I, I wanted to focus on RJ first, but, like, he obviously started out super cold. From, from three. He then got got hot. He had that hot for winning. And now he's kind of he's, he's struggling a little bit. Like, are, are we just going to expect this? This is year, uh, I think, day in and day out this year where, you know, sometimes the threes go, sometimes he gets into a rhythm, and sometimes it does not. And when it, when it looks good, it's good. And when it's bad, it's bad. And there's no real in between. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope not. And I, you think he's talented enough to develop and get better. But, I mean, I was looking at his – I'm like, this guy went to Duke. He has to be a good shooter, right? And I think I looked at his stats. I mean, he was a 30% three-point shooter in, in college, a 60% free throw shooter from the line. I hate to say there's a cap on him, but it's definitely, definitely concerning. Um, you know, I'm sure there's been a lot of examples in the NBA where guys came and didn't know to shoot and they improved. So he could certainly fit that bill. These guys take thousands of shots a day. You figure they could do it, you know. If the YU basketball team can knock down threes like they did last year, you think a pro NBA superstar athlete like RJ Barrett could figure it out. So shout out to the Max, by the way. When they were making their run, they were shooting like fifty percent from three. And just oh my, they didn't—they didn't miss. That's one of the biggest sports disappointments of my life is seeing that Max team get shut down by Corona. Oh God, I don't even want to talk about it. And, and mm-hmm. being a not so proud YU alum who practiced with the basketball team for a semester. I was like really all in on it, right? And like to a point where I was like throwing my phone against my bed when things weren't going well or where they were going well. Like I was all in. But anyway, so RJ Bat, right? So you talk about the cap, right? I mean, I think he's got a chance, but like if you look at like Nick's Twitter sometimes, they're just like, this guy just doesn't have it. I mean, are you somewhere in between where you think he can be a star or is he trash or is it somewhere in between? If he develops a jump shot, he could be amazing. He he gets his shot off. Like, he doesn't have trouble getting his shot. He could get to the basket. He gets to the free throw line. He creates space. He creates plays. He's a playmaker. He just 
you just can't hit the shot. And, you know, like, you know, if he could really develop that and become a consistent shooter, he could, he has a lot of potential. So I love watching him. Yeah. He's, you know, I love watching him. He, he, he has a chance. He has a chance. And I mean, Steve Nash, who's like his godfather, like raves about him. Right. And, you know, Steve Nash knows basketball. So I I'm hoping that Steve Nash is right here because like the Knicks need that guy. They need that guy in the, in the draft. You know, they need to develop that guy who's going to be the face of your franchise, a, a, a real cornerstone, because we'll get to Julius Randle in a second, because I still don't think he's that dude. Um, and if it's not RJ, then they're going to have to find somebody in the draft again and, and hope. Yeah. So. Oh, I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if he's a number one guy. Uh, there are ways from that, but I, I'm hoping he could be a staple and, and, and someone who's here for passes, you know, rookie contract that would be nice for a change it would be nice so i'm gonna just tell all nick fans out there let's just relax on on the rj slander just yet he hasn't even played a yeah what is he he's he's 20 or 20 21 years old uh these guys little 19 yeah so what so he's still growing he just needs to develop the shot and he's got good form he's got i feel like he has a good feel for the game um you know yeah too way too early to give up on him but obviously Gotta see, gotta see that shooting improve. So the Knicks' big headliner right now is Julius Randle. Uh, full disclosure, coming into this year, I hated Julius Randle. Um, I mean, he was probably there was him, Raymond Felton, uh, and a couple of other. Oh, I I couldn't stand Jared Jeffries. Where it's just like every time they were in the game, I just wanted to rip my hair out. Right. <laughs> And then Julius Randle turns into like some kind of combination between Carl Malone and Magic Johnson in terms of like <laughs> getting buckets and him dishing out assists, even with the high turnovers, but he has the ball in his hands so much. So where were you on Julius Randle before the season started? And like, do you think this is sustainable? Um, so I didn't pay much attention to it. I, off season, uh, the Knicks are not on my radar. Um, you know, but then they got good. So I paid attention a little bit more. So I didn't really have expectations. I guess I thought he was, you know, like a Zach Randolph 2.0 with, or, 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 or negative 1.0 would take that for what it is. I wasn't expecting anything, you know, just a trash Z- basketball Zach, player. Right. The Zach Randolph <laughs> era in New York was a disaster. Yeah. So not good, not, not good. Right. So Zach but at least Randolph is, a, I think he's considered a decent player. I don't know. Yeah, when he uh, left. Yeah, exactly. When he, left, when he went to Memphis, he turned his career around and became like a great veteran and, and made a couple of all-star teams. Yeah. Um, but I mean, just looking at, I don't, I'm not sure where all the hate comes from Randall. And he, he's had good productive seasons. I think when he was on the Pelicans, he was, you know, 20 point, 10 rebound guy on like close to 50% shooting. I mean, when was the last time Knicks had a, had a player like that? Um, so, I mean, he, he's definitely shown that he's, he's capable. I'm, I'm not sure where all the hate is besides that the guy looks like he's washed up and 40 years old and just doesn't, doesn't look like an NBA player. But, but besides that, I, yeah. But the guy, look, I mean, if you look at him, he just looks like he's been through the ringer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, the hate came from constantly, you know, putting his head down going into double teams, turning the ball over constantly, taking these ill-advised shots, you know, becoming like a black hole. Right. And I'll give him credit. Like, those tendencies haven't been there this year. 
Yeah. And yeah, he's dishing what he's got. I don't know how many assists he's averaging, but he, you know, he's flirting with a triple double every game. And I'll take a guy at this point who could put the ball in the basket. So it's very rare to find a player on the next who could put the ball in the basket. And that's something he does. He's a, he's a shot maker. Um, it may not be the prettiest thing and maybe it's not long-term sustainable, but I'm not looking to trade him right away. Let's, let's see where this goes. Um, you know, I, I want some sort of continuity and, and development on the Knicks, um, you know, try to entice other players to get here. And if this is a start to that and, and, you know, getting some momentum of competent players, then I'd rather take that than just ship them away right away. Let's let, let, let's let, let this play out a little bit before we're trying to sell high, in my so, opinion. So I agree with you, but I'm going to play devil's advocate because, you know, Randall's 26. He's got an option after this year. So it's like, is this like the contract year bump? And then signing a guy like that long-term can cripple your cap because if he goes back to being a pumpkin, that's it, right? That's all she wrote. Um, but I'm with you in a sense, and I used to be of the believer that, like, you don't want to be in the middle. But as we've seen, you want to show competence. So, like, even if the Knicks start losing, like, showing competence is important. You're a well-run organization. You're a well-run franchise, and that they play hard and that there's something there. Like, I, I trashed the Austin Rivers signing. Like, the Austin Rivers signing is going to turn out to be a great signing. Right? It's three years, like $10 million, and he's a competent basketball player. That if somehow you either draft a guy like, and, get, and get karma in the draft after all the years of being terrible and not getting that draft karma, like, all of a sudden you have, you have players here where, you know, you couldn't be a player in free agency when you have, you know, the, the flexibility to, to do something where you're not a laughing stock. The problem is with the, with the landscape going forward in terms of the free agency landscape, like all the really good guys have locked, you know, locked up. So it's now it's just a matter of seeing what's out there. Like, I mean, Victor Oladipo, if he comes back and looks like a, like a, uh, you know, superstar again, eh, does that really do it for you? I mean, for them right now, it's about the draft. So even though I, I do want to ride this out, like you're going to get a point to a point with Randall where you may look to trade him because you're going to be trying to get the draft pick at that point. We're yeah. Yet, but you may right. Get- yeah. I, at the beginning of the season, I want to see them win. You know, if it gets to a point where we see that they're not going to even be a competitive or a playoff team, I don't even care if it's the eighth seed. I would, I want to watch Nick games that matter. I prioritize that over a draft. Maybe I'm in the minority of that, but yeah, once, if that's out of the picture, then, you know, you're hoping for them to be competitive, but losing as many games as possible and getting a good draft pick. But anyways, you're you're not even guaranteed the number one draft pick anymore. So, you know, that tanking mentality definitely loses some of its strategy. Um, And bottom line is you have to pick well. I don't care if you pick one, two, 10, 12, the Knicks haven't picked well. They've had a million picks. They haven't picked well. You know, they drafted Kevin Knox. What was it? The number ninth pick. Who, you know who his other teammate was on the same team who got picked three rounds later, three picks later? I know. S- SGA, right? And the guy I wanted them to take the swing on was Michael Porter Jr., who had the medical issue that, like, if you're going to take a swing, take a swing. Exactly. So you could still be competitive. Bottom line is you have to make, you have to make good draft picks. So I'd rather, you know, have a competitive team, make it a place people will come to play. And they have, they have to make good picks. That, that's the bottom line. It's something that they 
haven't obviously done. Where were you at with uh, with the Tibbs hiring before the season? Were you were you a little hesitant given you know his stint in Minnesota where he was known as this defensive guy and his Minnesota teams were not good on defense. He was also the general manager and that was ugly. Um, he had a reputation of, of sometimes prioritizing veterans as opposed to developing young players to just squeeze out as many wins as possible when that wasn't necessarily the best uh, situation for the franchise. Like, where were you at with Tibbs before the season and, and right now, how are you feeling about Tibbs? Um, I, I've always been a fan of Tibbs. Someone, yeah, I guess he didn't have a great thing in Minnesota, but a, a coach that's kind of a throwback that stresses accountability and, and hustle which is, you know, talk about Fisher and Hornacek. These guys were, these guys weren't coaches, you know, they, they had no accountability. There was no fear in any of those coaches. I want to coach. You look him in the face, you're, you're scared. You see the fear of God looking at you. Look at Tibbs. That guy will rip your head off. I hate that you know, with a COVID mask, you're missing a lot of action when you could just destroy refs and destroy players. But I want a coach where you're fearful to, to screw up. And that's something that Tibbs brings to New York and I think right he, he coached he was a bench coach back in the day with the Knicks so he's got roots here um I want a guy that's angry I want a guy that's really going to hold these guys accountable and and he's not going to answer to these you know drama queens of the NBA today you know he wouldn't stand he wouldn't take the stuff that Kyrie Irving's pulling he wouldn't deal with that so I want a guy who's legit kind of like that Tom Coughlin tough as nails SOB don't get on his bad side he runs the ship I want a leader and that's what Tibbs. So I, my whole thing was that I just didn't want Tibbs to be in a situation where, like, say, Todd Gibson, who's back on the, on the team, right? Like, Todd Gibson can't be getting 25 minutes a night. We can't have that because what right. good does that do us? Zero. got to play the young kids. So if he's going to continue to play the young kids and coach them up and teach them how to play, I'm that, that you're, you're good with me because you're setting – Right, a culture and an example, right, where where guys are gonna look at us as a respectable franchise, again, which we haven't been in seven, eight years. So, so, but my biggest concern was like we're gonna prioritize, you know, retread veterans just to win two extra games. That's not doing it, right? You got if he plays the young kids, I'm totally fine with it. Yeah, and and I think he gets that situation. He's not on a. Bulls team anymore, which they were semi-competitive. He knows that it's a rebuilding team, so I'm hoping he understands that, that the priority is developing these players and not eking out a couple of extra wins. And yeah, if he's playing Taj Gibson 30 minutes a night, then we have problems. But um, so far, he's been rolling with the young guys, and and he has confidence in them, so yeah, that, that would be the most important thing going forward. By the way, shout out to um, you know, friend of the program, Eric Zimmerman, who was like, you know, just remember, Tibbs developed Derrick Rose to be the youngest MVP in, in NBA history, right? He developed Joe Kim Noah as a young player to be third-team All-NBA. Like, it's not like he can't do it, right? So that whole thing is, you know, super accurate by, by Zim. So shout-out to him. Uh, make sure that he, uh, he knows that he's appreciated his contributions. But, yeah, no, I, I just – I was a little skeptical only because it ended so poorly in Minnesota that it was such a crap show. The whole Jimmy Butler fiasco, like, you know, with Carl Anthony Towns. But you know what? Maybe it's on Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins that they're just not competitive dudes. Yeah, and I, and I, 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 I kind of like a coach that's my way or the highway. That, that's me personally, especially a team that you've had such dysfunction. They need someone who's, who's got some guts.
Um, so. So where, um, so with the Knicks right now, so what do you expect at, out of this, you know, next couple of stretch, do you think we're going to hover around 500? Do you think the ship is going to sink? I mean, what, what do you, what are you feeling? I think they're going to, they're going to pull, pull it out a little bit. I think they've just gone into a really bad funk. They can't be this bad. It, it's impossible to shoot this bad from three and, and just miss so many open shots. Um, so I think they'll, you know, a little reversion to the mean, a little regression to the mean and, and play a little bit better basketball shots are going to fall a little bit more. Um, and then we'll see is, is, is the clock going to run out on Randall? I, I don't know, but he, he, maybe he's improved. You know, he's only 26. Maybe RJ is really going to start taking some steps forward. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping they're going to, they're going to hover around 500. Um, if they don't, if they don't do it in these next few games, the next five, six game stretch, then I think we could throw in the towel and then uh, put our tankathon hats on. But uh, till then, I, I, I'm, I'm still I'm still holding out a little bit of hope. So I don't usually I have like a good opinion on this. Here it's tough because like the Knicks right now are ranked in the top ten in defense. They were like number nine or something. I mean, maybe not so much now because they had a rough stretch. They were number nine, but with that defensive rankings, like they were giving up a lot of a lot of um, shots at the rim and a lot of threes. It's like you're going to be a really good defensive team and the shooting averages average out. Like you can't give up both. You have to pick one or the other almost. Right. Um, but also it's like NBA players, they can't shoot this poorly, you know, exactly. For five game stretch. So I don't know, but, but I'm, I'm intrigued. What was the last time we were intrigued? 2011 with Mello and Jason Kidd. Yeah. Shout out to, the 2012-2013 mix that went 54 and 28 and then traded for Andrea Bargnani. God, oh, we are so, we, such a we could fan. We could use Novak back. I would love Steve Novak. A little discount double check. I was all about it. I was all about it. So, all right. So, we, we still are, are, you know, lukewarm on the Knicks. We'll see what happens, but at least we're intrigued. So, okay. the oh, okay. that we were talking last night was... You have an opinion on Walter Clyde Fraser calling the game, all right? Share this opinion. Okay, I, I think it came off a little bit strong yesterday. I, I, I went think hard I, in the paint. What was that? You went hard in the paint. You, you didn't you didn't hold back. But what you? It was it was, it was probably. I, I think I said I'm tired of Fraser, and they need him. They need to move on. They need they need fresh blood. Now I I like Clyde. I understand his you know, relationship and historical connection to the team and everyone loves Clyde. I'm just, I, I just associate with him now with just terrible Knicks basketball for the last, however, 20 years. And just, he's just a little too laid back for me at this point. He's kind of just a one trick pony with his catchphrases. We get it. We heard them all swishing and dishing, huffing and stuffing, you know, all, all, all the catchphrases. We all know them. Um, I just, I just have got grown out of it. I could use some fresh blood, someone with a little bit more juice, a little bit more energy, a little bit more excitement. Um, and maybe that'll just, you know, turn things around a little bit. They need a little extra, you know, luck vibes and he's just not doing it anymore. So you're, you realize you're in like the major minority on this, that like Nick fans are like, Clyde is the only good thing about the team. But why? Why? Ridiculous. He is, but it, the, the, the game's over. It's been the shtick's done. It's been going on for 20 years with the suits and the and his sayings. We get it. Neophyte, you know. 
I've loved my vocabulary has definitely improved, improved since listening to uh, to Frazier. I still don't know half the things he says. Percolate. I'm not sure what percolate means. It means getting hot. What? It means getting hot. Isn't like like a coffee maker? Is that is that what it, is that what it is? Um, yeah. This is this is this is shocking. I mean, I I would much I would much rather Breen than than Frazier. Breen's the best. Oh well, yeah. You can't get rid of Mike Breen. He's he. Yeah. Ian Eagle and and Kevin Harlan are the best in the business. You gotta. Have I don't. I don't, I don't love Eagle. I don't know why everyone loves Eagle. He's smooth, but like he's not. He's not exciting. Breen's exciting. That bang call, bang. That, that yeah, but we call. haven't heard that at an on a Knicks game in forever. So who cares? <laughs> we only hear that when he calls the national games. <laughs> right. Well, we had it with some Jeremy Lin, some some mellow back in the day. It's been, a it's, decade ago. it's been some time. Yeah, no, so I, I don't I don't hate Frazier and I, I understand who he is. I just think sometimes it's time for a change. Same thing with John Sterling. Like oh, tired don't, get, of, don't, don't get me started. It, it's the same idea. I'm tired of his home run calls, right? Like he, he already knows what he's gonna say, and you know what he's gonna say before he even says it. And it just takes away kind of the 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 realness of, of the moment you know so i, I kind of put them in the same boat that they're just kind of like a you know a comic a comedic act and just I'm, I'm ready to ready ready for for the next guy to well, step well, in well clyde was on one clyde time. 75 by the way isn't that old i met him at the airport last year he happens to be a super nice guy was like, i'm sure he is in excellent shape by the way but clyde what was, was he what was he wearing at the airport standard puma jumpsuit with the Puma Clydes, nothing crazy. It wasn't a crazy outfit. He was just wearing sweats. All right. Guy's, guy's still the coolest guy in New York. Um, but he was on one last night because Hayward, I forget, was it Hayward in the, in the first quarter beat somebody like on an inbounds play underneath the basket. I beat him like just go, cut right by him. He goes, come on, guys. Like he was really like getting on him. Right. For Peyton line, I was like, "Thank you, Clyde." Like, the, like call out garbage when you see garbage. Yeah, and and I guess he does. He does do that. He does call call it out. I guess I'm just looking for a little bit more, a little bit more excitement. He's a little he's a little bit too laid back for me at times. So, last thing on the Knicks, do you think they can? Uh, you think we're contending for a, a playing game spot? Because remember, the playing game is is you know ten seed. You know, the top ten get into the the final tournament. Ten? Yeah, they should be in contention for ten. I think right now, what they're they're ninth, I think. Something like that. And the Nets are also, I think, behind them, and you know that's going to change. So you got to switch them up. They, they'll they'll be right around there. I mean, if you look, all, all the teams that are ahead of them now are are better than them. So um, their best case scenario is around that that eight spot. Um, but but we'll see. I, I I'll take that if I could get a playing game with the Knicks and see RJ in a big moment. See, see Robinson in a big moment. See what Randall could do. Um, I'm starved for for playoff action, so I will I will sign up for that now. And I don't care if it's an eighth seed or not. And hopefully it brings good karma in the draft and we get somebody. But I don't know if they're going to finish top ten. I think they'll be they could be close. I wouldn't be surprised if they fall out of it. But as long as they play hard and they show, you know. Um, attributes of being like a legit team again that's all i can ask for and i bet they're over at 22 and a half and that looks really good because they're not completely atrocious which is a win yeah and they and they and looks like they're competitive on defense so that can win you that could beat that over of 20 games right there especially with tibbs it's amazing 
like sometimes just playing hard gets you wins, but it's it's nuts. So before I let you go, a couple of things. Uh, three last points. One, uh, your boy Tom Brady. Uh, you are a Jets fan who loves Tom Brady, which makes no sense. Uh, I've called you out on this many a times. It, it's the craziest thing about you. Your boy Brady still looks good, though, at 43. He looks good. He looks better than ever. He looks just – I think he's better now than he was when he was uh, 33, 23. He, he, doesn't miss, he doesn't miss a beat. I think he, he's more mobile now than he ever was. It's really unbelievable. Um, he's just in a great situation with those receivers that really help him make him look a lot better. I mean, you see what New England was this year without him. Um, and I was curious to see, you know, how the Belichick-Brady fallout, who would win that battle, and everything points to Brady as being the guy. Um, so, really, it's, it's an amazing story. The guy could play until he's, he's 50. And, uh, he, yeah. and, 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 and your comment on me being crazy for being a Jet fan, being a Brady, again, let's put this in context. It's like he's the Muhammad Ali Michael Jordan of our era. This is the Michael Jordan quarterback. This is the Muhammad Ali of quarterbacking. This is Wayne Gretzky of quarterback. So I root for greatness. Enough said. I'm not sure I can allow it, but I'm not as appalled by it when you put it that way, because you were very articulate in that. Uh, Yeah, Brady had that awkwardness early on in the the season, you know, things clearly weren't clicking with him and Arians. Like there was, there's still kind of like that weird awkwardness, like undertone to it, but the offensive line has, has gotten better. I mean, their, their rookie tackles really, really good. And, and you know, Brady can still zip it. He really can still zip it. If you got weapons, I mean, would, would it shock you if he's back in the Super Bowl at 43? Like, would it shock you? No, it definitely wouldn't shock me, but I don't think the team is good enough to a go through New Orleans this week and even then have to maybe beat a Green Bay on the road. I don't think their defense is good enough. I don't think Arians is a good enough coach, but they have the goat. So any anything is cer- certainly possible. But yes, I, I you know think they're not a favorite and an underdog to to get that far. From one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum when it comes to football, your New York Jets. Uh, quick question on them. Who do you want them to – what do you want them to do with the number two pick? Good question. Um, I mean, Chase Young looked terrible last night. Not that that – you know, it's one game. Um, if they could trade the number two pick and get an absolute haul. Wait, you mean J- – you don't mean Chase Young. Chase Young plays for the Reds. Not Chase Young. Uh, uh, who's, who's the quarterback? Justin Fields. Fields. <laughs> yeah, Justin Fields. He didn't look great. Um, you know, I think the best move, they could get a really good package for trading that number two pick and just load up on the next however many drafts and then just take your chances with Sam Darnold. He's got one more year left on his deal. Um, I think that that that's an opportunity. If they don't get that, um, you know, maybe go for go for the wide receiver in Alabama and get some get some excitement on this team. Um I don't think they should get it. I don't like the quarterbacks at the number two spot. So either trade it for a haul or, or get, get, get the Alabama wide receiver. So my only thing is that like new coach, uh, GM, you know, new QB. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the way it works when you have a top five pick in the draft and you have questions at quarterback. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I get that. Um, they should all come in at the same time. Um, I just don't know what QB you're taking at, at, at number two. 
Um, you know, maybe the guy from BYU. It's just such a crapshoot. And, and even though as bad as Darnold has played, I haven't totally given up on him yet. He's shown talent. I think if they get some weapons, get him, a, get him an offensive line, you know, why can't he be as competitive as a Baker Mayfield? Um, There's a lot of scar tissue there. There's a lot of scarring with the Jets and Darnold. Yeah, it it hasn't been a smooth run. Would you hit a point of like no return? Like you just got a like he he was a sacrificial lamb of the Jets, and and then we'll see what happens going forward. But yeah, it's it's weird. It's weird. But I I think they're going to take a QB and figure it out. So you think they're going to go for Fields or Wilson? I'm not. I'm not nearly well versed enough in in um you know draft uh, prospects right now for the NFL draft but I, I do think they're gonna take a few big because I, I do think it's also harder to trade down than ever before. I, I think I think teams are just like you know especially at the QB spot like I, I've heard that there are gonna be five to six guys drafted in the first round and and outside of Lawrence is if anybody really separates themselves it's just like well why would we trade up for someone when he may be able to just come to us at our spot, depending on right. who somebody is. Uh, and, that, and that somebody could vary from team to team. So I, I just, I'm not sure that they're going to get this haul for the number two pick that they were expecting. Yeah. Unless, you know, what the, what's the, the wide receiver, Devontae Smith? Yeah. Yeah. So like, unless people just go crazy for him because he looks ridiculous. Maybe they, you know, someone would trade a lot for that, but Gonna, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. So one last thing. One last thing. Um, Yankees. How are we feeling about the Yankees, especially now that big bad Uncle Stevie's uh, is in Flushing, Queens, making noise? How do we feel about the Yankees? It's very frustrating. I always say I root for the Mets, but then whenever the Mets are good and all the Mets fans get very giddy, then they get very annoyed and then they wish that they suck again. And that's kind of what's happening now. They're all going crazy <laughs> over Lindor and it's just – and it's pretty infuriating. Um, that being said, I mean, the Yankees, you know, they're, they're, they, they, they need a rehaul what they do. They have too many of the same right-handed power sluggers who strike out 100 times, 200 times a year. It's good enough to get to the playoffs, maybe win a division, but when they start facing that good pitching in the, in the postseason, I don't, I don't think it's enough. I mean, they better sign DJ, get DJ squared away, um, and then, you know, hopefully one of these prospects and the pitching, um, you know, from the farm can, can come up and, and be decent. But, yeah, it's, it, 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 it'll be very unfortunate that this team can't, can't, you know, finish it and win a championship because they have a lot, of, a lot of talent, a lot of good players. It's just they don't have enough DJs. They get one or two DJ LeMayus in the lineup, um, you know, then we'd be cooking. But they just have too many of the Gary Sanchez's of the stands and – I mean, I love Judge, but they all just do the same thing, and, and you know they can't they can't keep up when they face that good pitching in the playoffs. The difference is Judge is good, Stanton is super hot and cold, and Sanchez has been dog shit for the last three years. So like, there's there's the difference. Like, you're yeah. not getting rid of Aaron Judge; he's the face of the franchise. Like, he's awesome. But yeah, no, they need the variety, and that's what Lemayhu brings. And and I would love for them to. I mean, if they bring back Lemayhu, which you hope they do. Uh, then there's really no spot. But I heard if like if he somehow gets priced out because of the whole financial business, because the Yankees are are the are the family business now. Like that's what they are. And if they're not going to have the fan revenue, then it's going to cut their spending. 
which you never thought you'd heard from the Yankees. But then again, we're in weird-ass times right now. But it, they did bring back your boy Didi for like a one-year um, move. Glaber back. Love Didi. Love Didi. Love Didi. It was heartbroken when they got rid of him. He had a good year. On, I mean, he had, he had a solid year for the Phillies. And he's a guy that just gives you something else. Well, he's a lefty. He makes contact. He doesn't strike out like everyone else. Um, he was awesome in the playoffs. Gives you a good battle when he gets to the plate. Um, I think they definitely need that balance in someone who could just play a little, not small ball, but, you know, like a contact hitter. Um, well, that's why and, they got to bring back LeMahieu. And yes. it's going to be interesting what they do with Torres because, like, Torres likes to swing for the fences. And at a certain point, and his defense is suspect at shortstop, like, what are we doing here? Yeah, you got you to move Torres to either put him back at second um, they could probably trade Voight for something and get a DJ at first. Um, then you roll with Thurshella, Didi, and Torres, but that's a lot of ifs there. But, yeah, I mean, the, the way the team's constructed now, they're still a playoff team. I'm not, not worried, but, um, you know, unless they're, unless they're going to make a big splash with an Arenado or someone like that, they're, they're not going to get over the hump. Well, Arenado's not – wouldn't be the guy they target because they really do like Gio at third. Like yeah, he's he's a good fielder, Gio. He's fine. He's not he's not Nolan. Nolan's Nolan's a top five player yeah, in the sport. But I don't think but I don't think they're they're selling the farm for Nolan. I think they would do they if they're gonna sell the farm, they would go after some pitcher to help Garrett Cole a little bit. I yeah. Think, but who knows? It's gonna be weird. The the hot stove in baseball has been kind of cold, except for uh for Uncle Steve across the uh you know uh Cool. Yeah, the the the, mo- the moment the momentum shifted to to the Mets, no doubt. And Lindor looks like a Met. That guy, he's born. He just has that Met look. I don't know what it is. Jose Reyes, or just fit, fits fits right in. Well, it'll it'll be interesting. But Justin, thanks so much, man. It was great great to catch up. Uh, we'll do it again sometime soon. Hopefully, uh, this give us something to. Uh, be interested in the rest of the year and uh, I'll speak to you later, man. Thanks so much. Sounds good. And congrats again on number 100. So everybody, I've, I've got a second guest on for uh, tonight's episode. It's somebody who I had gone back and forth with a lot over the summer. For some reason, it just never worked out uh, until now. So we're going to bring him on. He's a first time guest, major friend of the program. Somebody I go back a long time with Mr. Yaakov Rosenberg, a.k.a. Sad Mets fan. But is that about to change? Cove, what's good, man? Yeah, like I said, I think uh, I'm not, you know, it's hard to be all in. You know, you're, you have some demons. But I think I can be cautiously optimistic. So, so let, let's let's start it up. So Steve, the Steve Cohen era uh, of him owning the Mets is off to a pretty good start. So let, let's go back when, when the news was first official, that he uh, is now the owner, it's finalized. You know, what were just the emotions that you felt? You know, how many demons of all those demons that you felt that were exercised? Just, just take me through that day. Yeah, it was kind of just able to, like, you hit a, you know, a refresh button. It's just like a fresh feeling. You know, there's so many demons associated with, with the whale ponds and, like, you know, you look at the payroll, how it's just gone down and down and they didn't care anymore. And now you get someone who, you know, whether he means it or not, he says, I'm doing it for the fans. You know, I want to win for the fans. He grew up a Mets fan. It's just someone you see, aside from all the money, which is great if he puts it in, it's just someone that, you know, you can tell wants to win. 
So it seems to me, again, besides for the fact that the Mets won't be operating as a small market team in the biggest media market in the world, which is a plus, it seems to me that he's actually like really trying to bring in like smart baseball people. That he's not just throwing money willy nilly, that it's just like he has a strategic plan to this. Right. Well, when he first came in or even before he took over, he had two knocks, which he was basically just knocking the will bonds, basically said our farm system sucks. I mean, he said that recently why they couldn't get uh, with the Dodgers trade, right? And uh, not the, the Darvish trade. Yeah. He basically said, we, we just, farm system sucks. And he also, when he came in, he said, our analytics system's garbage. So, you know, the payroll is one thing, but if you're not spending on, on developing these guys, it's, it's you know, you're not going to get anywhere. So do you think he'll be able to throw enough money to have a medical staff that keeps, keeps pitchers off the disabled list? <laughs> you know, if we had it back when Harvey was there, maybe we would have been, uh, would have been different. Yeah. It's even small things like that. I mean, I can't remember his name, but the strength, the conditioning coach that they had for years, I mean, it took them, you know, they're just so far behind everyone else and what they're willing to do. And it just seems like now we have someone who actually is willing to listen to other people. You know, it's not his son running the team with no experience really. And that's all he did. It's someone who's willing to just bring in Sandy Alderson and say, listen, this is your ship. Do it. So are you happy that Sandy's back? Yeah. You know, I think also I'm happy for him. I think he was just so, you know, his hands were so tied with the Wilpons. You could just tell he was just so unhappy, but like he tried to make some moves. He made some nice moves, but he just couldn't spend any money. And now it's like, you know, I feel good that he has another opportunity. I think, uh, you know, saying all the right things. What's crazy about the Mets uh, and Met fans, it's like they're a tortured fan base, but like they've seen success in the last couple of years. Like they've been to a World Series within the last five years, but it's all like the ancillary stuff around it that is just like it really overshadowed kind of the performance on the field per se. Like they, they made the playoffs the year afterwards. I mean, they, they lost to, I think it was the, what the giants in the wild card game, mm-hmm. but like they haven't been terrible. It, it's just the clown show. Well, that's exactly it. You know, going back to right before Piazza, right. That was the year they just collapsed and it was uh right. I think that was uh, Yeah. I think right before they got Piazza is when they collapsed. No, 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 no not Piazza uh, with Santana. Right. The year before is when they collapsed. They brought in Santana, but even when they brought him in, it's like, well, no, I, I'm sorry. I think they brought Santana in and then they made that run with Santana to the ALC at uh, the NLCS. No, they never made, they never made the playoffs with Santana. Really? Oh, never. Sorry. I mean, it wasn't his fault. I think he had, he had, a, I think under three ERA, but they just, yeah, they never gave him any run support. He, he got the, the, the DeGrom treatment. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what it was. That's when they lost, you know, the Phil. I was actually at a game towards the end when they had like a six and a half, seven game lead on the Phillies and they just collapsed and they just never. Yeah. But with this, it's like, a, you know, oh, and then with Piazza, you know, you had the Braves, right? It was just something you can never get over that hump. They had amazing teams. They had they great the teams for winning 90 games. Yeah. And they made it to the World Series. But those other times, you know. They were, they had made 80 games or 90 wins, you know, 88, 90 wins, but you had the Braves winning, you know, now you have the Braves, but you feel like it's on equal footing. You know, you actually feel like there's no one really, you know, back then it was the Braves. It's like, you had to really climb a wall. Now it's open. But now they, now they have no excuses in terms of like, you know, because the owner's willing to spend. So now they're going to be, they're going to be big time players. So obviously 
the reason I had you on now um, was they made a big trade. They got a guy in Francisco Lindor, 26-year-old shortstop, who's awesome. Um, the Mets are making moves. They signed a catcher. Uh, they signed, uh, what was his name, from the Chicago White Sox, who's pretty good. Uh, they're, they're making moves, and it doesn't look like they're done. So, like, obviously, Lenore trade is, you know, the biggest move. He's, he's one of those guys that's, like, you know, one of the top 10, 15 players in the game, especially for given how young he is. Like, your immediate reaction when you, when you saw the trade be finalized. Yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, it was a buildup, like you said. They brought in McCann, which was – Really nice. I actually really like that because given all that to, you know, a catcher given 25 million a year, it's just, you can't trust catchers long-term. It's just, they break down, especially, you know, you think there'll be a DH, but you can't rely on that. Um, so bringing in someone who can actually catch, can actually develop maybe a pitching staff was, can actually throw it to second base. You know, it's nice to actually have someone that can throw someone out. We haven't had that in, in years. Um, so it's just the development. Then you brought in uh, the reliever, blanking on his name. Um, and then, yeah, you bring in Lindor and you knew something was going to happen, right? It's like people were starting complaining. Oh, you look on some of these uh, Instagram accounts. Oh, he hasn't done anything yet. You know, what's Cone waiting for? It's like, he's going to do something, but you just didn't know what it was going to be. Is it going to be Springer? Is it going to be Bauer? And I think this was something that wasn't obvious necessarily. And it just was, it, it was just uh, felt so nice. You know, with Santana, it was nice to bring in a good pitcher. But when you bring in someone in his prime, a top 10, who I think, um, you know, position player, I think that just brings something that a pitcher pitching every, you know, five you know, or so days doesn't, doesn't bring. And you can't overlook Carrasco. I think that is enormous, you know, throwing him to the middle of that rotation. Great. Backup. And I'm no, uh, I'm no uh, prospects expert, but it doesn't seem like they gave up like their their crown jewels in their farm system. I know their farm system, as you mentioned, was largely not great, but like the top of the line guys are still there and they can make more moves. Yeah, no, absolutely. The nine, they give up the ninth and the 10th prospect on one of the worst farm systems. So just goes to, so they still have, you know, the other thing about the McCann one is they have um, a pitcher, I mean, a catcher down that they think in a couple of years is going to be, is going to be something special. So it actually works out nicely. Um, but it's just, it just feels, it just feels nice. So, I, and, and, so the, and the shortstop, yeah. they get a, get, got a Jimenez and, you know, I don't think they're going to be anything and any superstars. So nothing really, you know, good players, but that's about it. So over under a week and a half until his extension is signed. I'd say before, what are we in? I'd say for February, I think we can do it. I think they want to get it out of the way. I think, you know, I think it works out for both teams. A lot of people said, well, there's going to be so many shortstops, so many available players next offseason. Um, but you don't know how many, how many, you know, you assume all fans will be back by then, but people, there's still going to be cash draft, you know, two years right. of what's going on. I don't think, you know, the Mets are willing to spend. So I think maybe they'll spend a little more than they would have next year, but maybe Lindor has taken a little less because he just sees the market and it's just, you know, I think, I think it's a good time. I think they'll, they'll lock them in. So if you had your wish list now going forward, what's the Mets like wish list? You want a starting pitcher? Do you want George Springer? What are we looking at here? You know, Springer would be great, but we have, you know, you look at our lineup. It is, it is a very good lineup the way it is. Um, pitching, it's strong, but I'd rather have, you know, Bauer. I mean, Bauer's been great two of the three last years, but to give him, what does he want, 40 million a year? 
I just, I haven't seen it long enough. I know they say spin rates increased and you see the, you know, not just the record and not just the ERA, other things, but I'd rather put it, you know, there's a couple of very quality pitchers on there. Uh, I'd rather spread it around a little bit. Spring would be nice, but obviously a take, <laughs> but I'd be happy with, you know, a couple more, you know, a very solid guy starting in, uh, in the bullpen. Listen, I haven't, uh, you know, devoured the landscape of uh, the hot stove uh, and, and the off season yet. Uh, I know it's been relatively quiet. I mean, the, all the Met fans who are like calling for Steve Cohen to do something. It's like, he's the only guy who's done anything, right? That's exactly it. He's, but, the, he's the only yeah. one on the market. But tr- I could just tell you this right now. Trevor Bauer's not getting $40 million a year. No. There is no one who's going to pay him that money because A, it's risky to pay a pitcher that way. And B, no one has that kind of money right now after we, after there was no fans in the stands the last year and they played 60 game season. So like, exactly. So if you want to tell me, yeah. If you want to tell me, listen, Bauer going to see the same thing. He once said he wants one year deals. You want to give him 30 minute, 5 million for one year. You think that he can put you over the top. I might be okay with that. Yeah. It, it's, it's always, it's always about the years. I mean, let, let's be honest. He's got the deepest pockets in, in baseball now. So it's like, he, he doesn't care about the one year. It's just a matter of protecting an investment. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting, interesting times in Metland. So, I mean, part of uh, part of the, the plight of the Met fan, right. Is that in New York, they're always second fiddle to the Yankees. It's always been their thing that their little brother that they they'll never get the back page like the New York Yankees will get the back page. Do you think this new era with Uncle Steve, you know, spending the way he's spending and the um, and the Steinbrenner kids? Well, now it's just one. Aleva Shalom, R.I.P. Uh, not spending the way that the Yankees used to spend. Do you think the tide's turning a little bit where they're going to be more on equal footing? I a hundred percent. I mean, you saw in the last 20 years when they had the run in the nineties and the two thousands there, there is that just that insatiable need for the Mets fans, you know, to just have something. And I think you're going to see a lot more Mets fans engaged, especially, you know, what's happened in the last couple of years, like I said, it's twofold. The Yankees don't have as much to spend. Maybe this is their main business, right? So they're going to be lower in payroll. You would think they're just staying stagnant. And also with fans not going the last year and a half, I think it's, it's like a refresh in general. You know, I think it's just, it's the perfect kind of storm for the Mets fans and the Mets to really step up. I think, you know, what, what, when's the last time the Yankees won the series? 2009. Right. So it's been a while and not to, not to knock all Yankee fans, but if, if you're listening to Michael K or listening to anything on the radio, it's a lot of sad Yankee fans. You know, there's no like positive. I mean, you always have that. Yankees always just expect to sign everyone, but it's just, I don't know. Uh, well, so we, we've become a little bit realistic. Uh, I mean, the main thing for us is we just want to get DJ LeMahieu under contract and then get fans in the stands and then start operating like the Yankees operate. Um, but that that's where we're at right now. I mean, we've been on the precipice for the last, three to four years in terms of them. And we just need that one extra arm to put us over the hump uh, to get to the series. um, You know, when the Astros aren't cheating and whatever, but (laughs) don't be bitter, but we're, we're, we're not, we're not getting that. It doesn't look like this off season anyway. So now it's just like, hold steady. See if some of these young guys come back, see if Severino comes back. 
uh, healthy after Tommy John and then take it from there. But in terms of like the media coverage, like there, I, the Yankee fans are, and, and I'm more of a Knicks guy anyway, just because I would give up anything for the Knicks to win a title, but I don't think that's ever going to happen in my lifetime. Um, I, I said the same thing to my a daughter. I said, I don't think that when she asked me like why the Mets are losing every game, she's become a huge Mets fan over the last year. And she was just like despondent. Like, why can't they win? And I was like, how am I explaining it to her? So I basically said, you know, the Mets just, you know, the owners, they're just not nice people. But when nice people come in, you know, a nice owner and nice guys coming in, I'm telling you this guy, Stevie, he is a good guy and, you know, and, and things are going to work out. And, you know, it's, it's, I think the tides are turning. Violations be damned. Who cares? But yeah, no, but uh, I, I do think that, the uh, that the media coverage, the, the Mets have, you know, a real opportunity here to make some serious noise. I mean, I, I heard a, an interview on the Bill Simmons podcast with, um, oh my God, who was it? Was it Evan Roberts? Uh, I don't remember exactly who it was, but he basically ranked the top, you know, teams in New York in terms of interest. And he said, the Yankees are one. And right now, because of Uncle Steve, the Mets are two. And you yeah. w- it wouldn't have been that way beforehand. Um, but now, uh, now the new era is here and it's going to be interesting. So as I mentioned before, you may have, uh, some rebranding to do your Instagram handle is sad Mets dad. Uh, and shout out to you for, uh, donning the, uh, the Mets gear. I know the listeners won't be able to see it right now, but donning, uh, you know, a nice Mets pullover. So are you, are you going to have to change the handle? Cause you can't be so sad anymore. The, the, you know, I'm. Like I said, I, I, you know, I'm optimistic, but I need to see it on the field. There's just been a lot of bad juju the last few years. And it's just, you know, when you just go through a lot of negativity, it's just hard to just totally, you know, you just, you still have some scars of the past. So, you know, I don't want to jinx it. It's like when you, uh, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, you have some money on a game and then you just book it, you know, it's, it's, I gotta, I gotta wait a little bit. It's coming, but it's coming. But, but, but we're, we're, like I said, my daughter was, was thrilled. You know, we, I was one of the, honestly, when we told, I told her about Carrasco and Lindor, all she said was, well, as long as they still have DeGrom, Conforto, and Alonzo, I'm thrilled. DeGrom's amazing. DeGrom's really amazing. Uh, one last thing before I let you go, because you're, you're nice enough to, uh, you know, take some time out of your day to, uh, to chat. Uh, you're a Mets and a Jets fan. So basically you're one of the most depressed people on the, on planet earth and Knicks and Knicks. Well, that, that goes without saying, cause no one cares about the Nets. You no know what? They're, I'm happy. They have Kyrie. They deserve him. The best thing to happen to the New York Knicks in the last five years is that Kyrie Irving signed with the Nets. But anyway, Amen. so does the Mets happiness does it give you enough juice to never care about the Jets again? I think it's a simple yes to be honest. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, you just, you need, I you need one team to just really be able to be engaged with. Because you know what, even in the off season, there's still a lot going on. I mean, obviously you want your football team to be, you know, to be good, but it's just, I mean, it could be a while. They have, they have a lot of needs and a lot of issues and it's just, I'm going to, I'm going to ride the wave, ride it with the Mets. You know, I'm not going to let the, the negativity of the jets, you know, affect my fandom. 
I like it. I like it. Positive vibes only. We're doing it. But uh, but last thing before I let, last last thing before I let you go. So you haven't given up the Jets yet. They have the number two pick. Who do you want them to take in the draft? You know, I, I'd rather trade down. I know that's like oh, a cliche thing to say, but I I would give Darnold. You know, do you trust Fields? What did he do last night? What's the other quarterback? Um, Zach you know, Wilson. Why, they got. Right. Um, they got. This is apparently a very rich uh, draft in the in terms of first round QB talent. But yeah, but you want I mean, to listen. If you, could, down. if you could package, you know, if you could package the the two, and you know, I don't know if that's enough. The two, the what do they have? The twenty fifth, and somehow you know get Watson. I don't know if that that's probably not enough. Maybe you know work some other stuff out. That's it might be a pipe dream, but that's you know. If I get, you know, I mean that that obviously that's the hope because Watson's a top five right. QB in the league. But like, right. I just for all the Jets fans who are like, I, I don't think you can give Darnold another chance. I just I just think there's there's too much scarring there. It's just it's just you gotta even if they trade down, I and they pick up like a pick and a later pick in the first round or something. I do think they're gonna take a quarterback mm-hmm. in the first round. Um, I just, I, I don't see general managers, especially when they have the two pick with a question at quarterback trading down and not taking a guy that they're going to be confident in, especially with a new coach coming right. in, who's basically picking the QB to be the signal caller. Right. So like, mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine them taking anybody else, but a QB, if they stay at two, like there was somebody who was like, we got to take the offensive lineman from Oregon. Who's apparently awesome. And that's not happening. Like, right. like, Let's take Devonta Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner, and give Darnold weapons. Like that's not happening at the two pick with the quarterback you know, question. It's like the San, It's like with Sanchez. It's like when it just. I mean, it just. I mean, at least he had a nice run. But when he just felt like the time was over, it's just. It's over. It, it, that's it. That's it. You, you can't. You can't come back. What's an offensive lineman going to do? You can't. You can't win with that a quarterback. So yeah. yeah, if you have to, if you have to reach a little at two. I hear you. If it's still a, if it's still a guy you think can be a very quality quarterback. Because worst case scenario, you're just doing it again, right? Exactly. You're, you're doing it again, right? I mean, it's like, I, I've, how many people have you heard say on the radio that the Jets should pick a quarterback in the first round every single year until and they get it right? A but broken record. It's a broken record, but obviously you can't do that because of money constraints. But like, you know, now is the time if they're going to do it. I just, whatever. But it does, that, none of that matters. because Steve Well, Cohen, that's it. You know what? I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy to talk about it intellectually without feeling like emotionally connected. It's nice. You know, I could just, you know, be a fan, but not give my soul to it. There you go. Well, anyway, Cove, this is awesome, man. I'm, I'm sorry. It took us so long to do this, but under much had, better terms now. Yeah. You, you, we had positive news to talk about, about the Mets. So it was time. So this was really great. I, I, I really appreciate the time. We're going to have to do it again. Uh, during the uh, the season, um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, let's see them actually do it on the field, and we'll have to follow up. Awesome, good stuff, man. Good to see you as always, and we'll speak soon. Thanks so much. Thank you, brother. Thanks again to my guests Justin Richter and Cove Rosenberg, aka Sad Mets fan, for their time. Uh, Cove should probably be changing his name right about now, considering where the Mets are at. But that's a New York flavor episode. 
100 for the love of the game. Take us out, Big Sean and Even though I get slammed with lawsuits like Cardos, C-3PO's like Star Wars. They want me by the road holding up cardboard. So I go extra hard on the hard floor. Right now, I'm calling you from my home gym. Right after that, I'm gonna swim. Just did a couple laps in my home pool. And my daughter right there getting homeschooled. I'm blessed. And I was thinking about starting at my own school, a Montessori. In the hallway looking like a monastery, oh yes. I'm way up, I feel blessed. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.